the Paranet Podcast, a Dresden Files book club. Welcome to the Paranet Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Lunn and Rob Davis. We have got a brilliant show for you guys today. Uh, we're going to be doing some paranetworking, talking about Jim Butcher's recent interview for Comic-Con International Stay-at-Home. I can't remember what they're calling it, but basically San Diego Comic-Con um, as uh, with Priscilla Spencer, as well as um, a little bit about the Dresden Files RPG, and then moving across to our Fool Moon Book Club, uh, where we're going to be covering four chapters for the first time ever uh, instead of three and diving in to uh, a bit more text uh, than normal so you get a good meaty chunk of uh, Dresden Files. Um, So first off uh, I guess uh, we will go over to our parent networking uh, and uh, we want to talk a little bit about the Dresden Files RPG. So um, you were kind of the first person to introduce me to this, Rob. So do you want to talk about it a bit? Uh, yeah, can do. Um, I guess a little bit about it is... I'm basing most of this off my memory at the moment. Um, it was developed <laughs> by Evil Hat Productions, which I I think worked with Jim Butcher for it, or he, or he had a bit of involvement in it, from what I remember. Because um, I think initially the game was announced, I want to say as early as 2007, maybe earlier than that. Um but the release of the game itself wasn't until I think maybe 2010, 2011. And mm-hmm. you've got, uh, you know, the core book, which I think is called your story. Um, you've got two books that kind of spin off that, which include more content, which I think brings all the content up to where skin game is. And you've got the Dresden files accelerated, which is, I'm not really sure, I guess maybe a version of the game. That's a bit, you know, get hits the ground rolling a bit more. I've got it, but I've not read it. Um, yeah, like I, I was surprised when because, like you say, I introduced you to it about two years ago, and I, I think I was surprised that you hadn't got it because you're like the game master. So, <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I, I picked it up really early in my, <laughs> probably within the first two weeks of actually being really into Dresden Files, so I was maybe had just finished the third book at this point um, mm-hmm. and I, I grabbed a copy of it because for those that don't know, um, there's probably about 200 miles between me and Pat, so we see each other maybe two, three times a year at the very most um, Yeah. so yeah, with, with that in mind, I grabbed a copy of the Dresden Files RPG for, I think it was your birthday Back in 2018. Yeah. Uh, so something that one of one of my fondest memories of us meeting up was I put so the, the way that the, the Dresden Files RPG works because you, you you'd grab the copy and we're like oh let's uh, let's uh, have a look at this and, and have a go at playing it and because we don't know anyone else that is as into Dresden Files as we are we were like it's just going to be us two playing this um, which you know fine that's that it happens uh and hopefully we can convince some more people soon to play with us uh but um i did my normal dm prepping uh to play it 
Um, and the great thing about the Dresden Files RPG is that um, because it's based in the real world, a lot of how it works is you take a location in the real world and you have to go and do research on the local history of the location mm-hmm. and try and come up with, uh, find like folklore and um, various like monsters and stuff that are actually myths in the real world and then turn that into a Dresden Files-like story. Uh, so I went and did that for Manchester, which is kind of my hometown, uh, and went and found loads of uh, interesting like social history and stuff. Um, and then for like maps, instead of being like dungeon maps and stuff, I actually got like blueprint layouts of famous landmarks and buildings in and around Manchester and used those, um, which is probably the closest that I've ever come to like a, a RPG game being educational yeah. for me. Um, <laughs> yeah. And say, it, was, it was really awesome. Didn't the story, I mean, we only played it for a couple of hours in the end. Um, but I'm pretty sure that you had like 90 pages or something massive like that of like content for us to play through. I, yeah, I, I went super, super overboard and had like a big, thick wadge of like all the various supernatural factions that I had in Manchester uh, and that we could run into and stuff. And yeah, we, we only managed to play through some of it, but um, I really enjoyed it. So I'm not going to, I wouldn't complain. Uh, I think in the end I did a, a Denarian style story. I think so. That break that was in the bell. Yeah, uh, which was very cool uh, and fun to do. But yeah, um, so I guess uh, me and Rob have been noticing that there is a um, a lot more people listening to this show than we ever thought would listen to this show, <laughs> uh, which is incredible. And, and thank you so much for all the fantastic support. Uh, and we are looking at uh, ways that we could expand or possibly um look at stuff like patreon and things and and ways that we could uh offer more to you brilliant fans out there and one of those things uh might be exploring the dresden files rpg uh so i guess if you've got any strong thoughts feelings about dresden files rpg maybe like where you'd like to see it uh set if we were going to do something like that uh please 100 percent just leave stuff uh either um in reviews or uh, directly email us. We always put uh, our email uh, at the end on uh, all our episode descriptions. Uh, or you can even uh, tweet at us and uh, tell us kind of your ideas and uh, what you'd like to see in Dresden Files podcast. Part of me would really like to try and set something in London because there's so many myths and legends all around London. <laughs> um. Plus, that, that would kind of be more like you're closer to your hometown. Not exactly your hometown, but getting No, but quite close enough that I'd enjoy it more. Or at least the next time I go into London, I'd be able to be like, oh my God, that. <laughs> I, I love the idea of like having to do like a Dresden Files, like delve into the underground and into some of like the unused underground stations. That would be awesome. Yeah. Uh, so we'll we'll that's all all possibilities for the future, but that would be very cool. Um, so yeah, uh, going from that, something that came 
the Dresden Files RPG actually came up in the Jim Butcher interview uh, for for Comic Con. Uh, this uh, I think it actually came out last week, but I I only picked it up this week. Um, so the uh, the interview was with Priscilla Spencer, who also did uh, an interview with Jim uh, before the book release uh, for, uh, Peace Talks, um, her and Jim, uh, have a really good, uh, relationship. I think she, uh, runs several kind of fan communities or helps with a lot of fan communities. And she put together the video for the book trailer for Peace Talks. Um, so, uh, the interview, uh, for Comic-Con was kind of like just two friends chatting for, for a good hour. Uh, all, yeah, uh, all, all about uh, the Dresden Files and now that Peace Talks is out, what that means for the series and stuff. Um, and there was, there was some really, some really crazy questions, uh, some really like, uh, some basic ones, but she, she kind of steered away from like, where did you get your inspiration? How did the Dresden Files start? Stuff like that. Mm. And instead went in for like, some really out there ones like um, she asked Jim, "Do other planets have their own Never Nethers, and are there aliens in the Dresden Files universe?" Shit. Um, yeah, uh, and and Jim was very coy about that one, but I, I thought that was that was really good. Um, the, the so the the Dresden Files RPG came up in it because she said, "Of all the projects that you've worked with other people, like the Dresden Files TV series." Uh, and uh, the uh, the books and the audio books and stuff. Uh, what was the project that you felt that surprised you the most uh, about that uh, wasn't just your input, like someone else had input on? Mm. Um, and he said it was the RPGs because uh, the RPGs have like a bit of a story running through the, the campaign books. Yeah, I was going to say the... The story is, um, isn't it like Billy and the Alphas playing, like the RPG, as in that, like in story, the RPG they're playing in the books is the Dresden RPG, or yeah, something like that. And they're they're distributing it out to the Paranet, so that uh, they have like it's a game, but it's a game to make you practice your skills for in case you actually do have to fight a vampire or a werewolf or whatever. Yeah. Um. And the idea is is that this copy that you've got is Billy giving Dresden a copy uh, to essentially write notes on, like things that we need to tweak and fix, um, which is it, it's very cool and very meta. Uh, but um, there's all like cop- uh, like notes in the margins and stuff from Dresden to Billy uh, and a few other characters. Um, Especially unlike sections in the White Court, like uh, Dresden's obviously shown it to Thomas and being like, "Oh, is this relevant? Is this a good thing to put in or not?" Mm. Uh, and stuff like that. And then he's written bits, and it's all in different handwriting that represents them all really well. Um, well, it's 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 very cool. I, I, I that definitely tickles <laughs> my geek uh, sense. Um, so yeah. Uh, 
Jim was saying, because he actually didn't write anything for that. He gave kind of a brief outline uh, and they they came to him with a lot of questions, but he didn't actually put pen to paper and nothing he wrote shows up in the book, apart from, I think, a foreword. Uh, and he said that he was absolutely blown away with how well they got Dresden's voice and Billy's voice and Thomas's voice. Um, and and I, I completely agree because I, I had assumed that it was Jim Butcher who'd written all those asides. Yeah, I assumed that as well. Yeah. Um, it's pretty crazy. Uh, and Jim uh, also said that everything that is in those RPGs he considers as canon, and he even goes and reads them when he's <laughs> going to incorporate a character again to make sure that he's keeping with the canon written by a third party. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I really liked that. Um, the artwork in it is really things, good like, as well. Sorry? The artwork in it is also spectacular. It's, worth, it's probably worth picking it up oh for that alone. Yes. Um, if you want, like... I mean, you can Google some things from the Dresden Files, uh, although definite warning not to say for work for some things, especially white court vampires. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, Generally, generally speaking, uh, it's very hard to track down art on the Dresden Files because the, the community, it's not a, like a Tolkien community or Harry Potter or something like that. It's a little bit more niche, although it's getting bigger. Um, so it's great in, in those RPGs. You get like a big collection of artwork and you can see artist interpretations of all your favorite characters. Um I like for me personally, I, I found Murphy really hard to picture for the longest time. Mm. Um, mostly because she's both like physically imposing and very small and petite. Yeah. So trying to like combine those two concepts in my head took a long time. Uh, but getting the RPG and seeing the artwork that they've done for Murphy and that, uh, I mean, they absolutely nail everyone in the RPG. Kind it's of superb. Along those sort of lines, and I'll just get my catchphrase out of the way early but with i mentioned that i started reading the uh, first book stormfront about five years ago and I, I got a few chapters in and then I, I just couldn't get into it at the time um and it wasn't until i picked up the graphic novel omnibus that i really got into it and i found going forward after reading that omnibus um and even to like this day with like peace talks and all that kind of stuff is that the the medium of graphic novels, like having the art, having the characters drawn out and stuff, that is how I imagine them in my head. Like I can see them a lot clearer, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, I I find the graphic novels um re- are really good for that. Uh, like a really clear, this is what they look like. Uh, and Jim does talk a lot in that Comic-Con interview as well about the differences that he went through writing Dresden for uh, in a novel form and writing Dresden in a graphic novel form uh, and how he found the role of the writer change and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, if you're a writing buff, you'll get a lot out of it. If you're a Dresden buff, you'll get a lot out of it. If you just like seeing two people talk or listening to mm-hmm. two people talk with friends, and you probably do because you're listening to this show, you'll also probably get something out of it. So I would definitely recommend it to all fans. And of course, 
as always, there'll be a link in the description uh, for you lovely people. Um, yeah, so should we get over to uh, our Justin Files book club? Yeah, let's, let's do it. Awesome. So, um, as always, we'll go over the last couple of chapters and then we'll do the uh, this week's chapters, our big four bumper uh, blockbuster set of chapters for uh, you to hear all about. So, last time on The Dresden Files, uh, we saw um, a, a couple of uh, pretty short chapters. Um, Harry uh, was leaving McFinn's house when Terra West uh, helped him escape from the police. Um, Harry was shot in the shoulder by Murphy. Oh, well, implied by Murphy. Never actually says who shot him. Could be Murphy. Could be Agent Denton. Um, Terra and Harry use the hedge maze for cover. Uh, Terra hauls Harry over a high fence to escape. Harry then creates a wall of mist to protect Terra. Uh, as she gets over the fence, and then Harry passes out. Harry awoke in a motel uh, where Terra had bandaged his wounds uh, and broke his cuffs. Uh, she tells Terra it's time to go. Harry protests, but then Terra says that she's called the police and that they will be here soon, so Harry has no choice but to go with her. Harry tries for a soul gaze with her and finds that he can't perform one, uh, marking Terra as a creature of the never-never. Uh, Harry and Terra go to a place called the Wolfwoods, which is the most stereotypical place for a werewolf to be hiding. Uh, and uh, would you believe it? They find their werewolf, McFinn, uh, who captures Harry and uh, gets uh, puts terror into a trap. Uh, Harry uses magic to shock McFinn. And after a few tense moments, Harry and terror and McFinn all decide to stop and talk. Uh, Harry learns a little bit about uh, McFinn, who he is, what he is, uh, and why he does what he does. Um, he kind of sympathizes with him, but at the same time, still recognizes that he's a killer and is a danger to everyone around him. And he's also kind of angry because McFinn did kill one of his apprentices. Mm, um, the police catch up to the trio. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> uh, the police catch up to the trio and they decide to split off in all different directions to confuse them and then meet at a nearby gas station if they survive the chase. Terror appears to be caught, while Harry and McFinn seem to escape. Uh, and that is where we start chapter 16. And Rob, do you want to take us from there? Yeah. And as always, the chapter picks up right where we left ourselves last week. Harry reaches the gas station, re waiting around for an hour, waiting for Terror and McFinn. Um... He calls Susan for help, and he kind of, not blackmails her, that's the wrong way of putting it. I guess, no, because, you know, with her being a reporter or not, he kind of teases more information about the case he's working on as a way for her to help him. Um, it's also worth pointing out, because I will forget to say this when we discuss it, but um, Harry mentions, uh, you know, it's probably his chivalrous attitude, which hurts his pride that he's calling Susan for help because it means a woman's helping him. I, I'm throwing that out now because I know I'd forget. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, he comes across uh, Tara and 
they have a little exchange about you know what you know what happened. She managed to kind of give chase and all that kind of stuff, but McFinn was caught by both. I think it's both the FBI and Murphy and her squad. Um, yeah, and there's a beautiful interaction there where Harry says, um, "Where did they take him?" And she she just I imagine it deadpan, just saying in the car. Which I, yeah, which kind of just made me think of the whole um, what we were saying about the character last week. That she, you can tell there's something not right about her, I suppose. But um, no, I just love that exchange. But um, yeah, so Susan uh, arrives. Really, really Sorry, it really shows that she's a. It really shows that she's a creature like not of this world. Yeah, like it. It really reminds me of like Spock or Data from Star Trek. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, but um, uh, yeah. Susan, Susan arrives, picks up Harry, um, and Tara, Tara as well. Who I forgot to mention is butt naked at this point. Yeah, well, I say butt naked when they're getting in the car. She's wearing uh, nothing but Harry's trench coat. Um, Susan takes Harry to his apartment. With the plan being that, you know, with, with the police still after him, the plan is that Terra's going to ditch the trench coat and just wander around naked to distract the police so Harry can get in and out, grabbing, you know, any magical gear he needs and a change of clothes because he's been shot and he's still bleeding a bit. Um, so, yeah, that, that, goes, uh, that goes off with uh, a lot of success, which bumps us into Chapter 17, which mm-hmm. takes us... From the apartment down to the police station, uh, Harry takes the blending blending in potion. From, am I right in thinking he used that like earlier in the book, where he prepared it? No, he prepared it earlier in the book. Yeah, that's one thing. I'm... Uh, that and the, um, the one night's rest in a bottle. That was it. Thank you for the reminder. Mm-hmm. So he gets the uh, oh, blending right. in potion. Next, that and disguises disguises himself as the janitor to slip into the station, and the potion works brilliantly. She manages he manages to slip past Murphy and a couple of other officers who are all kind of bickering about, oh, you you know like someone went into his apartment and out and got all this gear, and Murphy's like, how could you how could you let him get past you like what you were guarding the place and they're like we didn't we didn't. We didn't take our eyes off the place, so we don't understand either. I mean, obviously they're not going to admit that they were just gawking at a butt naked woman. Um, yeah. And yeah, uh, Harry like goes to the jail cells, and that's where McFinn begins to change into a Lou Garou, Loop Garou, um, mm-hmm. and begins to attack the prisoners, which is a bloody mess, to say the least. Um, and yes. it's quite it's quite interesting because he's Harry's like with the jailer at this point, and the blending in potion is working so well that the jailer's just not kind of taken in what Dresden's saying. Like Dresden will be like, "Oh, we need to let the prisoners out, otherwise they're going to be a bloody mess." And the jailer's just like, "Yeah, it's just a typical day, though." And gives him a dry punch. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, given the urgency of the situation, that's 
I know it's it's a nice little bit of black humor there, I guess. Um, and yeah, Dresden gets into the cells and immediately on seeing like the Lou Guru, I keep calling it Lou Guru now, upon seeing the Loop Guru like face to face in person, he is overcome by an innate animalistic primal fear. Like he, I mean, as, as you would when, and I think the description it gives, and it's a very, it's one of the many descriptions we get of it is it is what a like it is wolf shaped but it is very much like a how a velociraptor is a descendant from like birds and all that kind of stuff it's that same kind of it's clearly descended from a wolf but it's like you know it's if you run into it you're gonna have a bad day yeah <laughs> i like it as um have you seen the episode of David Tennant Doctor Who with the werewolf in it? Yes. I, I kind of see it as that. Yeah, I can, I can really get behind it. I was trying to think of a good comparison on my way, like when I was listening to the chapters earlier. And I think the best I came up with is um, maybe like the werewolf transformation in Underworld, where, I don't know if you've seen it, but the, the werewolves in that are quite clearly wolf related i suppose but they're kind of there's there's something more monstrous about them i guess i don't know how to describe it off the yeah top of my head. Uh, also uh lupin's transformation in the third harry potter film where he's Ooh. more like a, a skin werewolf yeah another good comment and i'm just seeing if i remember that right <laughs> fair enough uh, but I, I remember him being like more skin than like wool. Yeah, yeah, he's like a very like skinny, uh, scrawny wolf. I always imagined like Lupin's wolf as I say imagined. I always saw it as a really menacing, larger, terrifying like golem. I can definitely see that. Like, he's kind of just... And it, it comes across as more of a disease. Like, with the whole, like, it's really pale and, like, kind of pasty looking, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, um, enough about Harry Potter. Um... <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about Harry Dresden, the yeah. better Harry. God, controversial. Um, chapter 18, <laughs> uh, Harry is rescued by Murphy, and she she's got, like, a I think it's the gun she uses for a target practice, which is a smaller caliber gun to what she's normally using. So she's popping shots at it left, right, and center. And it manages to do enough damage for the loop guru to kind of back off a bit. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's revealed to us that she read Dresden's notes and kind of took enough initiative, I guess, to make some like rounds out of silver bullets out of silver bullets. Some bullets out of silver. Take that as you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and there's 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 a nice little exchange there because she she only had enough time and enough like material to make a certain amount because she doesn't normally make her own rounds because who does that? Um mm-hmm. and yeah, Murph has Harry taken away while she prepares like the rest of her department to Kind of defend. I, I'll, I'll say defend themselves against the uh, loop guru more than anything. And 
I found this quite interesting because where I don't know if it's the introduction of the character, but we're introduced to um a very young Rudolph who is a rookie yeah. man. And I know it, it's weird because I mean, like I say, like I've I'm up to date with the books, but that I took a really long break between book ten and eleven. So my memory of yeah. Rudolph is that I I know that I think where he's at now he's working he's like head of um internal affairs I think isn't he? Yes, and he is also quite the dick. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's he's a massive bellend. So it's quite interesting going back to this point and seeing the character like have this interaction with Harry and still like it's hard to believe that after all of this he's still just like doesn't believe in like magic or the supernatural or anything but whatever but um all through the interviews, though he's that he keeps going like this isn't real this isn't real yeah like it must just be a joke or something like on the new guy or stuff <laughs> like that but um amid, amidst all this harry manages to get a sample of the loop guru's blood which he starts using to prepare a spell um I can't. I've already forgotten if he mentioned what the spell was, but either way, he needs like the blood of the um, loop guru, and he needs a stuffed animal. And he he sends Rudolph off to get the stuffed animal. At this point, there's a load of screaming and gunfire happens, and yeah. And then we roll into chapter nineteen. So um, mm-hmm. Harry takes the rest of the uh, the bottle of night's rest. So yep. back to like full strength, and I guess is how you describe it. And he he prepares to go against the loop guru, preparing you know like a fire magic blast of energy from his blasting rod. Um, at this point, Murphy gets in the way and again starts like shooting it with the silver bullets. Um, amid again like through this absolute chaotic like skirmish, Carmichael jumps in to defend Murphy, who's about to get ganked herself. Um, and in the chaos, yeah. Carmichael sacrifices himself. And yeah, at this point, wow, everyone's down in the dumps. <laughs> Carmichael's dead slash dying. Um, the description of, of him dying as well, it's really gory. It, it's quite gory. It's, it's all talking about like, Colour fading from him, and yeah. he has like a big gaping wound across his stomach. The, the description um, of the whole like battle itself is pretty gory. It's just people getting yeah, their limbs torn. I, I think Jim Butcher. Yeah, I think I think um, Jim Butcher. It, like he is very, he researches uh, very deeply into like different. Uh, weapons and war types and fighting styles and all sorts and you see that a lot when he talks about fighting scenes and things mm. uh, but something that he's really good at capturing is kind of the horror of battle versus like glory I guess yeah um, it's it's never like oh yes it was epic and awesome it's always like there is a there is a human cost and battle weighs heavy on the heart yeah, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> moving forward, um, in a fit of rage, um, Murphy goes to shoot the beast again, but 
wasn't keeping track of, I guess, the number of bullets that she's fired because she's now she's now out of bullets. She's out of silver bullets, more specifically. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the Harry uses. I can't remember if he uses Fuego or the um that weird that like gust of wind spell. But either way, he he knocks the Loop Guru through a wall and out into the streets of Chicago. Um, the the beast has you know taken quite a few gunshots from the silver bullets, so it's. Harry's got enough blood to lock down the beast and confuse it until morning, but or until it runs out of energy. And everyone at this point in the um, police department is mourning the deaths of the fallen, especially Murphy, who's described as kind of being sat by Carmichael's body, like cradling back and forth, uh, crying. And someone like you know puts the blanket over her shoulders, kind of thing. And I mean, Harry is still technically under arrest. Which is why I assume he leaves the scene, and because he doesn't want to be deemed responsible for everything that's just happened. But um, he manages to get out of the police station. He just walks walks out as the fire department shows up. Um, Susan and Tara like return to help him leave. That uh, they, they tell passerbys that he's you know he's just had a bit to drink. He's drunk. And yeah. Yeah, that's where we finish these chapters. And I gotta say I'm glad we did four chapters because it feels like we took on like a massive like action set piece. Instead of just stopping yeah. halfway through. It it really like when when we when it came to the end of that four chapters, I was like, We have done the right thing here. Yeah. This is the perfect stop point. Um Wow. Okay, so that there is a lot to talk about this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think we should probably get the tough stuff out of the way, and then we can move on to the fun, actiony werewolf stuff. Yeah. Um, but there, there is a we've talked about it before, and there is a problem in the Dresden Files um, where Harry Dresden himself it. My read of the text, personally, and I am not sure if this is a great read of Jim Butcher, my read of the text is that uh, the Dresden Files series itself um, is not sexist and is quite feminist at points, but Harry Dresden himself, especially in the early books when he's had less exposure to women in his life, and especially strong women, uh, is sexist uh, until later books. Um, and oh my god, does it come through in this book? It, it really um, does. I mean, like, like like you were saying, we've tackled it before in that, and from reading uh, the other series by Butcher and Codex Alaria and stuff like that, and also later Dresden books, I don't think it's a reflection upon Butcher himself. I think it is just you, you take that kind of genre of noir detectives and it's always... It, it, it's got that whole theme of you know the strong hard-boiled detective and there's always you know like a strong female that's involved in some kind of way but um i've all especially this read through since we've been doing it for the show i've taken it more as um a character flaw for harry more than anything whereas i have no idea what i thought two years ago yeah. maybe i just kind of shrugged it off and was like well that was weird and uncomfortable and just carried on so I've got a quote for this one. Yeah. Um, uh, 
so I, I think this is this is probably the the worst of it. Um, I hated to draw Susan into this. It made me feel cheap somehow, weak. It was that whole problem with chivalry I had. I didn't want a girl to be riding to my rescue, protecting me. It just didn't seem right. And I didn't want to endanger Susan either. I was a murder suspect and the police were looking for me. She could get in trouble for aiding and abetting or something like that. And I, I think that pretty much sums it up. Um, that His view about it. Yeah. He sees himself as a protector. And... Uh, it, yeah, um, Susan obviously. Um, any fans of the series will know proves herself to be w- way beyond needing protection and mm. going over and above and kicking ass uh, later on, um, and and uh, ultimately, uh, I guess, really challenges Dresden's chivalry to a point where he has to kind of overcome it. Uh, in changes to mm. do the greater right thing, um, which is very interesting. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think I don't think there's much to say on this apart from it's just a flaw of the series to acknowledge. Yeah, um, I can understand why it irks some people, or it can be really. Uh, I think uh, for a female reader, it might be quite offensive. I can um, I can get that, but I think with it being the character flaw of Harry, it like you say, it is something that becomes less and less as the series goes on. So it really we, does. He's proven wrong time and time again. Yeah. Um, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, was there anything you wanted to add? Uh, not particularly. I mean, I was going to say that. In later books, you've got like, I think the bulk of like the most powerful characters are strong women as well. And especially yeah. if you look at the head of the houses or like very, or the, most, the most senior people in the houses that he talks to, like uh, Bianca in the Red Court. Um, is it, I can, I can never remember the name of the vampire in the Black Court. Marvra. Marvra. I thought it was Marvra, but I couldn't. I didn't want to say it and then be wrong. Um, Lara Rafe as well. Um, there's there's so many examples. You've got like the uh, guard, the Valkyrie, and just there's so many. Winter Court yeah. as well. Uh, Mab. The Winter Court and the Summer Court are both matriarchal. Yeah. Um. So it's a, you've got that again. The the brand new villain in Peace Talks even is a female. Titan, yep. Uh, who is um, able to defeat all of the the male characters in Dresden Files with a flick of her like fingers, or um, pretty much, or is that that's how it's shown? So there is there is a lot of strong, both physically, mentally, and emotionally strong women in the Dresden Files, and even uh, his relationship with Murphy at this point in the series. I think one of the one of the obstacles is that, is that uh, with it is that Harry is trying to protect her and she yeah. does not want to be protected, um, and that's something that they definitely have overcome by the time we get to the later books. Absolutely, 
kind of following off from that, be it like the whole sexist nature thing, I feel it's a good time to mention uh, Tara West's uh, distraction of getting naked and dancing around on the street. Yeah, so the, the in my mind, there's two ways you can kind of take that scene. Mm. There is the way that it is just a naked woman dancing in the middle of the street, and then the two cops are cartoonishly like eyes popping out of their heads, <laughs> uh, distracted. But I kind of feel like that's a little unfair to the cops and maybe the entire male yeah. gender. I mean, to uh, be fair, I think there is, she does drop like a throwaway line where um, she's getting out of the car and as she's taking off the trench coat. I can't remember what exactly she says to Harry, but it's something along, along the lines of like, do you like what you see, Mr. Dresden? And he kind of is just like, it, it will do the job. Because <laughs> Susan's there as well at the time, and yeah. she's like, "Choose your words carefully, Harry." And he like turns his head away from Terra and says, "Yes, it will do the job," <laughs> <laughs> which I found very funny. But I also, as a creature of the Nether Nether, and it talks about that she does like a, a kind of dance, mm. and I almost think it's like a because she's like a native american spirit is the way that i interpret the character yeah like i mean that's from that kind of that's tradition. what's um taken from the uh graphic novel as well it's the art for her is she's very kind of native american i'm trying to dance around it without spoiling like her character yeah but we'll, we'll just I'll yeah, leave that's <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah uh I, so I think uh, like a lot of Native American kind of shaman uh, magic and that and that's that sort of trope, I guess, in fantasy tends to be quite like dancing. Yeah. Uh, and I was almost wondering, is, is she performing some sort of like distraction ritual dance, or using some sort of bewitching magic there? Mm. Um, which could also be the case. Yeah. Um, So yeah, um, I, but I I think the um, the when she when the, the playing of that with Susan being there creates quite a funny scene, um, and you have to find a way to distract the guards, the police, um, and Dresden specified that he didn't want any violence. So with her hands tied, that's kind of Tara West's only uh, option to fall back on, I guess. Yeah, that's true. It's better than uh, the alternative, which I suppose is killing them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, at the same time, um, it's it's very interesting to see like different women in the Dresden Files and the way that they treat each other, interact with each other. Yeah. Like, you would never see Murphy or Susan pulling a move like that. But Tara West, because she's very animalistic um, in the way that she is, uh, she she behaves and is described. Um, it makes sense that she would kind of use her sexuality, use animal instincts uh, as a weapon. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, so moving on to some slightly less. 
uh, <laughs> political or, or kind of uh, uh, contentious ground. Um, the blending potion is so cool. Sorry, I'm just wrestling I... with that. Oh, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, the blending potion is is so so cool. Um, it's um, the the cool thing about it is that uh, so you basically become a as uh, humdrum and uh, unremarkable as possible. And Harry talks about how drinking it, he starts to feel more boring and more grey, uh, and the way that he like holds himself and everything just becomes very like hunched and like just a uh like a retail or a service worker like just just blank completely mm. uh and he then begins to see the whole world in monotone um uh, and even talks about like how he feels like he's a, he's a background extra in, in like casablanca uh <laughs> which i thought was a really good metaphor to throw in there um metaphor suddenly i'm not sure how it's worded but anyway um uh, and then if someone, if it looks like someone is paying attention to him, uh, they then begin to burst into Technicolor as they see him. Uh, so it talks about how, like, they're, he's going through the police station and people, like, just look up to see who the new guy is and their eyes just, like, flash with colour for a second and then glaze back over into grey. <laughs> um, and I, that description is just awesome. And, and I can just imagine them doing that um uh, in a film uh and it looking so like uh aesthetically beautiful yeah uh, so that, that would be cool. super cool like i feel we get less of him using like bob to use to like assist with making potions and stuff as the series goes on i don't know if i'm just thinking that because it's been a while since i've read any of them apart from the last or the most recent three or four books? I think definitely post changes, um, but then the structure, the whole structure post changes gets very different. Yeah. But I think for these first few books, it does still keep fairly to that structure, but I'm not sure if he uses potions much. I didn't remember him using a potion in this one, so I, I don't know if I'll remember any others. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but yeah, I, I do miss the potion making. Um, I kind of feel like it's it's lower level magic. Yeah. Um, so maybe we'll get some, we'll see some use of that in, like, uh, as Maggie gets older, or with the new uh, spirit of intellect uh, of intellect. I hope so. <laughs> uh, it's okay. Uh, so um, we then have uh, the loop guru getting loose in the station uh, and there's this great sequence where Harry is trying to fight through the blending potions uh, effect to get through to this guard and we kind of talked about it it's a bit of it's almost a comedy scene because the guard of the the prison cells is talking about um, is, is, is like basically giving generic stock answers because uh blending potion is making him think that he's just having like an everyday conversation that you just wouldn't think about mm. um and harry's like no 
people are dying. Wake up, you idiot. People are dying. And he's like, oh, yes, it is rainy today. <laughs> Worst possible answer where he's like, uh, oh, yeah, sure. If you need to go in there to do your job, feel free. And just opens the door. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Harry ha- Harry's like, I have to go through and try and deal with the loop group. But as soon as I do that, the door's going to lock. Um, uh, yeah, it, it does. It's very fun. Um and I like that. Um, one thing I will say is there's a point where there's a, a blood-curdling scream, and I can't remember in which chapter it is. Uh, James Masters, probably because he's trying to save his voice, is like, uh, there was a blood-curdling oh, scream that went, ah. <laughs> there's, there's another <laughs> section like that where, um, again, I'm... I listen to everything really loud because normally when I'm listening to the audiobooks, I'm standing next to a main road. But um, mm-hmm. there was a point, probably the same chapter, where I think a police officer is firing upon it for normal gun, shooting it in the head, just emptying the clip. And the, the looper is just yeah. getting closer and closer to him. And it, instead of him screaming, I think the narration's like, and as it got closer, he was screaming, no, no, no. But like, the volume was voiced and increased, and I, I was quite thankful for that, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> he, um, James Masters is incredible and the perfect narrator, uh, audio uh, voice uh, artist. I'm not sure what the term is. I'm just searching for words now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, a performer to capture the Dresden Files, um, he is uh, he's great for that. Um, but I, I do love like that that monotone approach. It's just um, it works really well. Very, very funny. Yeah, kind of the um, screaming so- we just mentioned. Like this is kind of a little bit off topic, but um, with with him kind of saying you know, uh, as it got closer, he screamed, and then he just kind of does it without raising his voice. You still feel the tension, but um, I compared it to. Uh, I think towards the end of the dark of the Dark Tower, when we reach the tower, and it the, the um, narrator for that is describing the Crimson King screaming slash screeching, and he proper like screeches it like, oh, I, yeah. I, I I actually now that you've said that, I do have a very vivid memory of listening to it and literally like moving my headphones away from my ears. Yeah, like I. Turn it down, uh, and then you think it's safe, and you turn it back up, and then he's like, and the king screamed again, Whee! and you have to like turn yeah. it back down. Um, so yeah, I can definitely. Yeah, I, I guess uh, they did make the correct choice there. Then um, it must be interesting uh, audio book direction and, and uh, the choices that they make. I'd be very, I'd be very interested to see like a, a short interview on that. Same. Um, heck, who knows? Maybe one day we'll get James Masters himself onto the show. Uh, anything is possible. <laughs> That's the dream. Um, that that would be the dream. Um, so, uh, the death of Carmichael, our first, I guess, recurring character death. I suppose, yeah. Um, I. It definitely lends more weight to this. It feels like an up into the ante after the last book where um, 
that didn't really I guess we did have uh we we had a we had a couple of of characters that Harry had interacted with and then they died but um this at least felt like someone who was kind of on the side of the the heroes that isn't supposed to die I guess uh, with all the deaths that we've had so far being people that is just kind of like like Kim Delaney as an example here like she appeared in one chapter very briefly and that was it you, like when she dies you don't really care <laughs> i suppose whereas yeah. Kyle Michael he's not i wouldn't even say he's that big of a character but because we've already had him in the first book uh, we know his relationship with Dresden we know he's a bit of a non-believer i guess but he's i know and also because he's very close to Murphy as well. He's, I, I guess, close to Dresden in the sense of that he's part of the working relationship he has with Murphy as well. And that kind of adds to the weight of uh, you know, him sacrificing himself and the fact that he's sacrificing himself for Murphy as well. Definitely. Um, and I, I do get the feeling that like he was coming around to Dresden, like he describes Dresden to uh, Rudolph as uh, this is the guy who knows what's going on. Listen to him if he says anything. Mm. Um, it's kind of the last interaction we really get with him in Dresden, um, and I, I, it was an it was an ally of Dresden's uh, that, yeah, I. I I feel like it definitely has more emotional weight than any of the other deaths we've had. Agreed. Fully. And I, I kind of wish there was a bit more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, in in like, especially the, especially like five to ten, uh, in the series. I don't feel like there's many weighty deaths. No, not. I'm just trying to remember now that there's not any that stand out immediately. Um, like there's there's enemies that die. There's uh, lots of people do die, uh, and some of them are people that we have seen in passing. Mm-hmm. Um, but no one that's like a direct ally um, of Dresden's, which. I don't know. Uh, I I feel like that's um, I feel like that's uh, very it 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 ups the ante really really nicely here. Agreed uh, for me. Uh, and uh, it's worth remembering the name Rudolph because when we get a little bit further down the line, well, a lot further down the line, uh, Rudolph's not completely out of the world of Dresden yet. Um, so. That's not Rudolph. The other one. Carmichael. Yeah. Carmichael is not completely out of the world of Dresden yet. Uh, Rudolph is definitely not out of the world of Dresden yet. But they, they are... Everyone is still on the scene. Uh, no one is completely off the board. Uh, and that's always worth kind of remembering. And it's with that that I kind of have my theories about Harry's own mother and, and things like that. Um, so the last thing that we wanted to touch upon... Uh, oh, actually, we've got two things left to touch upon. Uh, so, second to last thing, um, Murphy and Dresden here. 
I feel like this is actually a big turning point in their relationship. Ooh, I'm interested to know more. The the point where Harry's there fighting the Luke Guru, Murphy steps up to save him and has taken his advice and in good faith has taken the time to melt down uh, silver items. Um, I think she even says that they're earrings. Yeah, I think... Yeah, there's there's definitely... Because I, I think that's what made me pay attention to it because I got distracted by a duck or whatever it was I was walking past. Um, but she starts shooting and I think once the loot crew, you know, buggers off, she turns around and mm-hmm. is like, oh, I'm, I'm glad those earrings I got for Christmas came in use. Yeah. Or something to um, that point. Which uh, is um, really, really, really cool uh, to, uh, but it, it it shows that Murphy will is willing to trust Dresden's word with little other proof to the point of de- like destroying her own property and creating these silver bullets, which is a kind of crazy thing to do uh, on the word of just a friend. Mm. Um, and then there's it. There's like they have a little bit of banter. Yeah, she's. I like that she's uh, still trying to arrest him as well. Like she's shooting away, helping him up, and all this kind of thing. But it's still like, uh, by the way, you're under arrest. And then there's a bit more banter, and then she finishes like the next line of like, "You have the right to remain silent." more banter and then she's like you have the right to an attorney and then so on and so forth uh but it's it's less like the scene in stormfront where the scorpion talisman where she's like angry or trying to arrest him yeah there's more of a there's more of a jokey side to it um i guess uh where she's talking about like why do you keep breaking my handcuffs and uh, why do I keep having to, st- to save you and stuff like this? Um, and uh, I, I don't know. I get the feeling that because Harry's there helping, he, he kind of becomes part of the, uh, the police team a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, and, even in even in the very most recent book, even with peace talks, they say uh, th- a different member of uh, special investigations is talking to Murphy and says to Murphy, "You were one of ours," and then looks over to Dresden and says, "You kind of were as well." Um, and I think that that all starts here, yeah, um, because they're all together uh, in this Luke Guru fight, and own. I, I think even. Later in this book and, and past this book, uh, everyone at the station kind of accepts that no one's going to believe that they fought a werewolf. Yeah. So everyone just doesn't talk about it. I mean, I think this is also the last time that I think Harry's arrested, or at least arrested by Murphy. Yeah. I, I think so too. I hope so. Um, <laughs> So, so that was really cool. And then uh, the other thing um, that I, I just wanted to pull out was uh, the spell. So it's a binding spell uh, that Harry uses um, to 
take to kind of uh, take some of the power off the werewolf. So we have this scene where Harry uses this force spell or a fire spell to blast the loot guru out of. Uh, I think they're on the second story of the building. I think so. Yeah. Um, and it goes like out through several cells, out across the yard of the police station, like the parking lot, over a road and through into another building in like like a Superman punch kind of <laughs> style, um, which is awesome. Very, very cool. Uh, and um, then Harry hears like the of like the wolf starting up and he's like, you cannot be serious. Um, so he's like, okay, I've got to do something quick. So he gets some of the blood and he gets uh, this uh, Snoopy toy, uh, uh, which he's using to represent the werewolf. Uh, and he gets uh, some of his other kind of magical accoutrements uh, out and arranges them all and, and everything. Um, and he, <laughs> he starts uh, babbling words in Latin to the Peanuts theme music. <laughs> uh, and then uses some of his own bloody jumpsuit to uh, bind the Snoopy doll. Uh, and what this does is it basically uh, blinds uh, the eyes, fouls the ears, uh, lashes the jaws shut and cripples the paws of the loot guru uh, until the end of the night, until sunrise. Um, and it's at that point that he basically runs out of energy and collapses as, as everyone else is mourning uh, the loss of Carmichael and others uh, in the station. Um, but uh, I just thought that was a really cool spell again. Mm -hmm. uh, like Magic in the Universe is very fun uh, because I, and I think we have touched upon this it definitely was mentioned last week in the section. I'm not sure how much we talked about it, but magic in the Dresden verse, basically wizards channel it through mental images and words um, to allow them very fine control in, in their visualization. So uh, you get all these things where it's like, what does Dresden associate with a werewolf that he can get his hands on very quickly? And it's like, well, Snoopy, I guess is close to a, a dog, is close to a werewolf. Uh, and you get a lot of these kind of associations, especially when uh, with the potion making and with summoning, uh, you have to get like something to represent each of the taste, uh, each of the senses. Um, you get some really fun like, oh, okay, so what taste makes me think of winter fairies uh, mm. and stuff like that? Uh, and it's just a really good time for Jim Butcher's creativity to just come out in in a massive burst and you just see that here uh really nicely absolutely <laughs> i suppose i talk a lot that's fine <laughs> gives us stuff to, uh, <laughs> gives us more to talk about i mean i, I can't I've, i apologize if we have already discussed this and i've just have short-term memory problems but the reveal of the loop guru, like the description of it transforming, the descriptions of it up close as well. What did you think? You you get a real feeling of the dread of being a small thing next to a big thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it. 
uh, I mean, so uh, like small, tiny personal story, but very recently I was walking through um, an industrial estate and uh, there was like an Akita or a German Shepherd dog. Yeah. Uh, that was like a guard dog. Um, that's that started like barking and howling at me behind a fence, but still there and um, could very easily have got through and done the whole Cujo act. Mm. Um, but the the uh, human response of like a wild animal, not a wild animal, because obviously it was it was tamed to some degree, but like an animal giving off aggression um and your like innate biological responses to that yeah um i think jim captures it really well and it made me really think of that encounter because i'll be perfectly honest that made my heart race just like a a a dog that was obviously aggressive and barking Mm. uh i want to get away from that place definitely um and you you get that here where dresden talks about like the psychological effect on him and how he just wants to run and hide um it, it's yeah you can't reason with uh, an animal yeah i mean i i like it because very compared to the descriptions we had from bob regarding the other types of werewolf the loop guru very much sounds more like the like a force of nature like a bit more like a animalistic hurricane for lack of a better term yeah like once once its host transforms that's kind of it you're fucked exactly (laughs) exactly (laughs) um yeah oh man uh i i can honestly say uh, and I've, i've read werewolf fiction in various different forms before but um i i actually think that the loop guru is one of my favorite werewolves um that i've read about or seen i'd probably agree on that it's done very very well and later in the book as well it's done very very well um cool okay um so yeah i think that's pretty much everything um we've I think the the rate that we're going now, uh, and maybe because we're a bit more comfortable with the uh, the, the paranet format and podcasting format, maybe four chapters will be something that we do a little bit more often, uh, or maybe we'll vary it um, depending on how much content there is and stuff. But yeah, uh, I definitely that. think it's the right. Yeah, it was the right amount. Uh, so yeah, Rob, do you want to take us out? Uh, yeah, um, as always, review us on iTunes, download us on Spotify, just listen to us, give us any feedback. Uh, like I say, we're available on uh, uh, Twitter, Instagram. Our email is usually attached to the podcast description anyway. So getting a hold of us is really easy, and we don't have much to do because of lockdown. So you're very likely to get a response from us pretty quick. And you know, feedback's feedback. It all helps. It helps us improve the show. It helps us, you know, find out what works and what doesn't. Um, and a big thank you to everyone that supported us already. We are dangerously close to a thousand downloads, which I think Pat said very early on in the show as well. That that's we we 
didn't expect that at all. I think we both expected that. The only people that would listen to this would be our parents and maybe some random guy who lives in Kent. <laughs> um, so thank you to everyone that's listened to us so far. Um, I hope you continue to listen. And I imagine that once we hit a thousand downloads, we'll probably discuss doing something to celebrate whether it's a bonus episode more content or something like that something we'll no doubt discuss in the coming weeks um but yeah anyway for next week we'll be covering chapters 20 21 and 22 we might be covering 23 as well i would say that depends but as before we will post out on social media about you know whether we will be or won't be um so yeah keep an eye out for that as well and yeah crack open a coke enjoy the sunny weather if it's sunny where you are it's sunny here it's beautiful and yeah you've been listening to the paranet podcast with your hosts rob davis and patrick learn and we will see you next week bye bye bye